Hey, good morning, everybody. So my wife and I recently celebrated an anniversary. Um, we're, we've been married for 22 years. December 28th was our anniversary. Thank you very much. And we were uh, going out on a date. We went on two dates recently, one on, the, on, our, on our actual anniversary and then one um, uh, last week. And last week we went out for dinner. And what we tend to do on our dates is we will eat a meal and then we will usually find ourselves in a bookstore at some point. That's like a pretty standard date procedure for us is that we, we like to go to bookstores. That's been a big deal for both of us. Uh, we're both readers. We like to learn and, you know, see what the new books are that are out there. So we enjoy going to bookstores. And that's becoming harder to do, by the way. Like we, uh, you know, Borders and Hastings and that weird little bookstore in the mall, Walden Books, you know, may they all rest in peace. You know, we're losing bookstores by the moment, it seems like. But we were in Barnes & Noble out in the valley, out kind of near the Valley Mall uh, this last week. And I walked into the, the Barnes & Noble in the valley. And if you've been there, it's kind of divided. There's a big walkway through the middle of the store, divided right and left. And then you've got the cafe on the right. And, you know, there's kids section in the back. And there's music um, on the other side, you know. And, the, and then there's usually something they're trying to highlight when you walk into the entrance of Barnes & Noble. It's the new books that are released. There's the tables piled up you know, in the walkways. And there was one particular display that caught my eye. It was directly across from the checkout area at the Barnes & Noble. And it caught my eye um, in such a way that I actually took a picture to show you. So I wasn't sure what I was going to do with the picture when I took it, but I want to show you this picture. So this is the self-transformation section of the Barnes & Noble. And a big display, this big U-shaped thing of books and that's not a surprise. It's the new year. You know, this was just a couple days into the new year that there would be a self-transformation section. It's not a surprise. But what surprised me was what I was expecting to see were books about goal setting and how to have your best year ever, you know, things like this, how to organize your house or whatever. And you can't see this, but I want to tell you what the little subsections are in the self-transformation section. So let me read them to you because I zoomed in on the picture and here's, here's what they are. Um, the sections were astrology, dreams, crystals, divination, oracle cards, tarot cards, Wicca, paganism, shamanism, paranormal, the afterlife and past lives, ancient mystery, UFO and conspiracy. And then on the right, it, you start to get into the Eastern religion and thought section. And to be fair, by the way, on the side of the self-transformation section begins the religion section which then kind of wrapped around the side and then the back. And there were actually Bibles and stuff in there eventually once you got into the religion section. There was a pretty good-sized Christianity section. But this caught my eye, and I wanted to, to show you this this morning because I think it communicates something. It communicates something, doesn't it? And let's think for a moment together about what it communicates. Now, this, this could be communicating something just about Barnes & Noble as a company, this could be communicating something. I think this is communicating something about our culture, kind of what the values of our culture, where our culture is looking. It's Barnes & Noble's best guess as to what people might find interesting or appealing during this time of the year. So what is it communicating? What do you think? <laughs> Anywhere but God, I'm, I'm hearing. People are reaching out for help, right? People are looking for hope. And I think, I'm not, by the way, bringing this up to organize a boycott, by the way. We're not, like, going to take the pitchforks down to uh, Barnes & Noble. I wanted to point this out 
Because just for us to think about what our culture values, what our culture is communicating, and I would say, yes, looking everywhere but God would be one thing that this is communicating. I think there was a, there's a misguided attempt, a looking for hope in all the wrong places. But I think even though that's sort of a dark cloud, I think there's a silver lining on the cloud. And here's what I mean by that. The fact that people acknowledge the reality of the spiritual and that they realize there's something beyond just the matter and the physical, there's more to humanity and more to this life than just the material world, that, I think, is substantial. That our culture is actually acknowledging there's something out there that is needed. To live a good life, you need something outside of just the physical things and what we can study in science or what we can have in technology. That even though science and technology have improved our lives, there are questions that they simply cannot answer. And there's something more out there. And I appreciate that about our culture because I believe that's changed a great deal in my lifetime. I think that when I was maybe growing up or in my you know, early adult years, there was a big focus on, hey, science tells us everything that is worth knowing. Technology will change our lives and bring all of these good things into our life and sort of answer the deepest questions of the human heart that we will make the conveniences and all the things we can learn from science that will make humanity better. And I think people are discovering in recent times that there's something more out there. There's something missing. There's something, and that is the spiritual realm. That is something beyond just this physical thing. And again, I think it's a misguided attempt, but I hope that the people who are searching outside of themselves eventually find the truth of Scripture and avoid some of the darkness that we saw on those shelves at the Barnes & Noble. I want us to be thinking this morning together about this idea of our souls in the spiritual realm, the spiritual life. And we're going to read two passages this morning from the Gospels where Jesus talks about the soul. And if you notice, there was a theme with all the songs that we sang this morning. They all included the word soul. We were talking about, you know, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. I've been thinking about how our spiritual practices interact with our soul. What do, they, what do they do for our souls? And also, which brings up a really good question, what is the soul? And the more you think about that, the, the more complicated it seems to be. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a little bit. We're going to read Matthew chapter 11. There's three verses, Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. And then we'll be in the Gospel of Mark in just a little bit. So Matthew chapter 11 28 through 30 will be where we will start. Got a couple things I want to point out about that passage, and then we'll be in the Gospel of Mark. So this is Jesus' teaching. In my Bible, it's the red letters. You'll see it on the screen behind me as well if you don't have a Bible or device to follow along in. But it says this, Jesus speaking, casting out an invitation to those who hear him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is 
speaking to a group of weary people who are burdened down by what their world is offering them, and they're finding that the burden, it's just burdensome. It's not giving them what they're looking, what they need, which is rest. For So Jesus casts the net wide to the listeners there, and he says, come to me, you, you are laboring, you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, which is this, of course, plowing metaphor, this agricultural metaphor where two oxen would be pulling, you know, a plow or pulling a carriage, and they would have the yoke on them, and they would be yoked together. And this metaphor of, that the, his, he says, my yoke is easy, in the sense that it fits right. It, it, it goes on the shoulders in a, in a way that's not ill-fitting and uncomfortable. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. And his way of describing his, this yoke, by the way, was a metaphor that was widely used during his time about the, a rabbi or a great teacher that had his way of living or his way of teaching, his collections of teachings. It would be referred to as a yoke. Jesus wasn't the one that invented this metaphor, but he used this metaphor that people would have recognized this during this time. The teachings of Christ, the way of living that Christ offers, his yoke. And he says, when you take on yourself the life of Christ in the way of living like Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and obey them and follow them, that you will find rest for your soul which sounds very appealing. I often think about this verse when I, when I bring a lot of groceries into my house, by the way, <laughs> when I feel heavy laden trying to do that, that man challenge where you put all the groceries in. You know, I can get all these in one trip. I'm confident I can do that. Um, and then you stumble through the house, and then I think about this verse. I am heavy laden right now. Anyway, this brings up this passage brings up a very good question, right? This sounds great. I want my soul to be at rest. If you are weary and heavy laden, I want to find rest for my souls. That sounds amazing. Jesus says that is what he offers, but it brings up a really important question, which is this, what is the soul? We kind of know it when we see it or know we got the concept without diving too deep into it, but the more we dive into this concept of what is a soul, what does it mean to be a person that has a soul? This, it, it gets kind of complicated. You'll see what I mean as we go. We all have one, something we all have in common. All of us have souls. It's not something you're given when you, are, when you become a follower of Christ. We all have souls. Part of being a human, part of being created by God is that there are these different aspects to us. There's a very physical aspect to us that's obvious, that we all see our bodies, but then there's something that we can't quite see, but we can discern, which is our soul. And this is a really complicated question, like I said. And well, well it might, I don't know that I'm going to answer all of your questions about what the soul is. You might actually leave here this morning with more questions than you came in with. But we're going to dial into this a little bit um, and drill down about this idea of what a soul is. Now, first, let's think about the way we use that term soul in our culture. We would say, may God rest his soul. Talking about someone who's departed, right? May God rest their soul. We, we have these legends in our culture about people who sold their soul to gain something. 
They wanted something really bad, and so they sold their soul. They met the devil at the crossroads and sold their soul so they could learn how to play the guitar really well. Like, that's from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But that's like referencing a legend about an actual musician. There, we, we say um, the eye is a window to the soul. Have you heard that one? And I, I think that's a pretty good pretty good quote, a pretty good idea. I think that's pretty accurate that you can look at somebody and talk to them and you begin to discern things about their soul, what's going on internally for them. When we talked about disasters, you know, like in, in, not as much nowadays, but historically, the Titanic, we'd say 1,500 plus souls lost on the Titanic, right? Uh, SOS, that, that kind of rescue signal that, was, that gets sent out in certain situations, apparently just means SOS, but we've later, it's not, it, the acronym itself doesn't mean save our souls, but that's the kind of definition that we've given it. Um, it's just simply a rescue call, but we've, it's called a backronym. Have you heard that term? Or it's just, the, the, it starts out with initials, then we've given it meaning later. Anyway, soul is a type of music. Interesting. And a type of food, soul food. If we think about and we're trying to describe what, we, what our understanding of what the soul is, we do kind of feel like it's a little spooky. You know, when Bugs Bunny falls from a great height, you know, in the cartoons, and then the little ghostly thing comes out of him and begins ascending up into heaven, you know, um, that, that's the soul, right? Or, or maybe to use a Marvel um, universe thing, you know, when... when Bruce Banner gets pushed out of the Incredible Hulk in that Avengers movie, you know, and there's this kind of apparition of him. We understand that's his soul. We, we get that concept. The writer Anne Lamott talks about the prayer that some of us were taught to pray when we were children about our souls. She says this in one of her books. Some of you were taught to pray at bedtime with your parents, and when I spent the night at your houses, I heard all of you saying these terrifying words. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. Wait, what? <laughs> what did you say? If I could die in my sleep? I'm only seven years old. I pray the Lord my soul to take. She says, that so, so did not work for me, especially in the dark in a strange home. Don't be taking my soul. You leave my soul right here in my 50-pound body. Right, we we kind of get the concept of, of the soul. And I did, again, I didn't realize how complicated this, this was, thinking about what makes up a human. We, scripture teaches that we have body, soul, and spirit. And where's the body part we get? We get that. We have this physical side of us. But the soul and the spirit, that part gets a little complicated. And it's hard to think of it in terms of really clear categories. This is the soul. This is the spirit. Every year, by the way, we spend some time talking about spiritual growth. We say, as a church, we want to gather around this idea in the new year, when a time people are thinking a lot about any changes they want to make in their life, they're developing new habits or things like that. I say, I want our, our church to be considering spiritual growth. And we've done this as long as I've been the pastor of this church, which is almost 15 years, by the way, at the end of this month. Every year, we spend some time reflecting together on these, on these practices. What can we do to cultivate the life of Christ within us? And we talk about spiritual disciplines. We talk about spiritual practices, these things that we can do 
to abide in Christ, to remain connected with him, knowing that he is the one who provides the transformation. He is the one who changes our lives. But how do we cultivate that connection? How do we remain connected to him? And so we're talking about that this week and next. But when I was preparing for this morning's message, I said, I I thought, I want to think about this concept of the soul and how these spiritual practices impact our souls. So what is the soul? And again, that is the harder question to answer than I realize because it goes into all of kind of Western philosophy and even Eastern philosophy that humans have an external life, obviously, and an internal life. And there's debates about which part is the soul and the spirit, and even theologians will debate this about are we three parts, body, soul, and spirit, Or are we two parts? Is it body and soul slash spirit? How how are they connected? How are they different? I want to show you an image here. I don't know if they're ready for this here, but there's a chart put together. This is, there's a guy who was a Baptist minister back in the uh, early 1900s, and his thing was to put charts like this together from the scripture. And this is called the threefold nature of man. And there's Greek words that go with each of these aspects. But this is what I mean when I say it's a little complicated. When you start to think about the body, soul, and spirit, are the soul and spirit separate categories or are they used sort of interchangeably in the scripture? The body makes sense. We all have physical, we move through this life in a physical way. And we have all of our senses and and all of that. And that has an expiration date. We know that. The soul and the spirit are the eternal part of us that will live on with God or separated from God. But then when you begin to think about the the categories of the soul, um, and the word that I don't see up here on the chart is this idea of the heart as well. Um, we, We understand that we have this internal aspect to ourselves, right? There's this, the the our thought life our imagination, our conscience, our reason, our desires, and the will we see as well. I want to read the other passage that I wanted to share with you this morning to help us think about this a little bit more. I've got a video clip I want to show you as well, and then we're going to talk about some of the spiritual practices that I believe will help shape our souls and help form us into the kind of people who are being transformed from the inside out. Mark chapter 12. Verses 28 to 34 says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, him being Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him 
any more questions. Now, we just sang some of these words that we just read. They were one of the songs that we sang earlier during our worship time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. I read this passage because we are told that we are supposed to love God with our souls. Love him with your soul, but then also with your mind and with your heart, which where is the dividing line between all those things, right? The, the heart, the mind, and the soul. And there seems to be some interconnected nature with this that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. So some of this is a confession that I tried really hard to just understand this fully, and I wasn't able to. Like, what is the soul? Man, we, we begin to understand that we have, that is a bigger word than we sometimes think. And to further drive that home, I want you to take a look at this video clip. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the word soul. The Hebrew word is nefesh. It occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament. The common English translation of this word is soul, and that's kind of unfortunate. Here's why. The English word soul comes with lots of baggage from ancient Greek philosophy. It's the idea that the soul is a non-physical, immortal essence of a person that's contained or trapped in their body to be released at death. It's a ghost in the machine kind of idea. This notion is totally foreign to the Bible. It's not at all what nephesh means in biblical Hebrew. The most basic meaning of nephesh is throat. Like when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty, and they say to God, we miss the cucumbers and melons we had in Egypt. Now our nephesh has dried up. Or when Joseph was hauled off into slavery in Egypt, his nephesh was put into iron shackles. But nephesh doesn't only mean throat. Since your whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of your throat, nephesh could also be used to refer to the whole person. Like in Genesis, there were 33 nephesh in Jacob's family, that is, 33 people. In the Torah, a murderer is called a nephesh slayer, and a kidnapper is called a nephesh thief. On the first pages of the Bible, both humans and animals are called a living nephesh. And if the life breath has left a human or animal, the nephesh remains. It's just called a dead nephesh, that is, a corpse. So, in the Bible, people don't have a nephesh. Rather, they are a nephesh, a living, breathing, physical being. Now, that might surprise you because most people assume the Bible says the soul is what survives apart from the body after death. And while the biblical authors do have a concept of people existing after death, waiting for their resurrection, they rarely talk about it. And when they do, they don't use the word nephesh. So even though nephesh is often translated as soul, the Hebrew word really refers to the whole human as a living physical organism. In fact, this is why biblical people can often use this word to refer to themselves. And it gets translated me or I. Like in Psalm 119, most translations read, let me live that I may praise you. In Hebrew, the poet literally says, let my nephesh live that it may praise you. By using nephesh, the poet emphasizes that their entire being, their life and their body offer thanks to God. 
In the Song of Songs, the young woman constantly refers to her lover as the one my nefesh loves. And of course, love isn't just an intellectual experience, it's an emotion that activates your whole body, your entire nefesh. This helps us understand the brilliance of other biblical poets who could combine multiple meanings of nefesh in one place. Like in Psalm 42, we read, as the deer pants for the water, so my nephesh pants after you. My nephesh thirsts for the living God. So on a physical level, your throat can be thirsty, like a deer's. But then that physical thirst can become a metaphor for how your whole physical being longs to know and be known by your creator. Which brings us all the way back to the Shema. To love God with all of your nefesh means to devote your whole physical existence to your creator, the one who granted us these amazing bodies in the first place. It's about offering your entire being with all of its capabilities and limitations in the effort to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the Hebrew word for soul. If you like that video, by the way, um, those videos are included in our Bible reading plan. So yet another pitch to join the Bible reading plan. If you haven't done that yet, if you're using the Bible app, those videos are included in the devotional portion of that. So not to muddy the waters uh, too much more, but that's the Hebrew word that gets translated soul. There's also Greek words in the New Testament that get translated soul. And I think in, in the New Testament, we get that idea of the inner life as well added to it. So the word soul can be something talking about your entire being, like the video we just saw, or this part of us, the internal reality at the deepest part of the human life, that is your soul. And so there's a quote often attributed to our old friend C.S. Lewis, who I love to quote, as you know, um, but probably not said by him originally, and it's this, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. You have a body, right? So the word soul is this word that talks about this whole human existence. This is who you are. This is what will continue after this life. And so I'm saying all that to say it's a bigger word than we sometimes think. This concept is pretty deep. It might be worthy of further study beyond our time together this morning if you want to dive deep into the soul, the heart, the mind, the spirit, all of these different aspects of us. But we're told that we need to love God with our souls, with our hearts and with our minds. And our understanding of, of the gospel message is that we, we, our souls, before Christ transforms us, our souls are fallen, right? We, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Scripture teaches us. And our souls need salvation, and Jesus came to save our souls. He came and he died on the cross for our sins. We've been singing about it this morning paid the penalty for our sins, gave his life for ours so that we might have new life. And part of that new life is that internally we are given his Holy Spirit. We are given a new heart like the book of Ezekiel talks about. Our heart of stone is replaced with the heart of flesh. And then we're given this new reality. His spirit lives within us. And some people would, would divide up this idea of spirit and soul in the sense that the spirit is how we interact with God most directly. That when we, are, when we become a new creation in Christ Jesus, we are given a spirit. And that is this um, eternal reality for us that we are given the righteousness of Christ in our spirits. And that our, the rest of us needs to kind of get with the program and understand this new reality and uh, understand the truth about us and become who God has already created us to be and how actually God sees us currently. 
but our souls need restoration. Our souls need transformation. It needs to be cultivated like a garden, which is a metaphor for spiritual growth that goes back to the Middle Ages. And now I'm just remembering that I was going to read something from a book that I don't have with me up here on the stage, and that's a bummer. Let me see if I can just, uh, just, just uh, do it from the top of my head. Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Pathways, which is a really good book. Gary Thomas is a great writer on spiritual growth. And he uses this metaphor about two women tending a garden. You know, the, these two women both plant seeds in their garden and they, they get the, the garden ready. And then one woman just totally neglects the garden and the other woman cultivates the garden. The tomato plants begin to grow and there's cages and things like that. And as the beans go, there's the poles. And, and I'm going to quickly, you're quickly going to pick up on the fact that I'm not very good at gardening by the way I talk about this. But I'm learning, I'm learning. This has been something I've been growing in the last few years. We've had a garden. Um, but one woman just kind of neglects the garden and it just runs wild. And there are some plants that are growing, begin to produce the fruit of the plant. The other, the other plants um, are just kind of overgrown and, and things aren't, aren't cultivated. Eventually, the difference between these two women's ways of gardening becomes very obvious. Because as the season progresses, the woman who has cultivated the garden goes out there and she just begins to fill up basketfuls. Uh, baskets full of the produce of the garden. And the other woman, it's just like, maybe there's a little bit in there, but it's really not producing like it could have been. And Gary Thomas uses this metaphor to talk about our souls, that our souls need cultivation as well. It's not automatic. We, he says we, in the book, we think that you know, spiritual growth and our soul becoming all that God wants it to be for us is just like an automatic thing, but it's not. It takes cultivation. It takes practice. It takes spiritual growth for our inner life, our souls, and everything in there to produce the kind of things that bring goodness into this world, that bring us the joy that we're looking for. There's cultivation needed. And so here's the question for you this morning. How is your soul? How are you in an internal sense? Like how, how are things? Is it is it well with your soul? We just sang this amazing song that talks about it being well with your soul. Psalm 43, the psalmist uses these words, my soul, why are you downcast? Why are you not hoping in the Lord? And I love that psalm because it, it, it encourages us to talk to our souls in the third person, which I think is a healthy practice. Hey, soul, what's going on in there? And I've actually done this. I've, on a piece of paper, when I've just been burdened by a lot of things, I've written at the top of the page, my soul, why are you troubled? Or my soul, why are you downcast? And then I've just written. And some of you don't process things that way, but for me, that was a very healthy thing to do, to just go, here's everything on my mind, all the burdens that I'm carrying right now, all the trouble in my soul, here it is on the page. And then that gave me something that I could just bring before God, like literally put it on a chair and then kneel down and pray and ask God to help me with that. I could pray through each of those things and say, well, I've got it all on one page now, so that at least that's helpful, right? Let me, talk, let me talk to God about what's going on in my soul. All this concept about the soul and all, all of our consideration of this deep topic this morning has been... I, I, my intention for all of this is to help us think about our spiritual practices 
when it comes to the soul? How do the things that we do to help ourselves grow spiritually, how do they form us and shape us at a soul level? Because we need this. And the good news is you do not have to. When you think about what kind of spiritual practices, things that you're going to do to help yourself grow spiritually, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to just come up with all new spiritual ways of connecting with God. We've got years and years of history of, of, of tried and true things that followers of Christ have done before us, long before us, that help us grow spiritually, connect us with God, and shape our inner life and our whole life. Last year we were, or last week, I guess it was last year technically, we were considering 2023 together and I took you through kind of an exercise where we were thinking about the year. And I know some of you found that very challenging. A lot of those questions were soul questions. We were thinking about what impacted you in the past year, what caused you pain. Those are all soul-related things. But then I ask you, what, what spiritual practice or discipline do you want to grow in in the year ahead? Which discipline will you focus on in the year ahead to help yourself grow spiritually? I've got three core spiritual disciplines, or we have three core spiritual disciplines that we talk about as a church, and we talk about them about this time every year. The first one is Scripture. Spending time meaningfully engaging in God's word, praying, right? This is our, what we do as followers of Christ. And then church, right? Being a part of a community of faith. Each of these three practices, I believe, are core spiritual disciplines that will grow you, that will shape you, that will begin to transform your soul. I want to talk about each of them briefly. We'll talk about the church more next week, by the way. I'll talk about Bible and prayer briefly. So I hope that my legacy as a pastor, that many years from now, when my ministry is concluded, I hope that what, I, what people remember about me in my ministry is the emphasis that I placed on engaging in God's Word, from teaching it, from, from teaching from it each week, but also encouraging you to be a person of the Word, shaped by God's Word. There's different ways we can interact with God's Word, right? We can read it. Which I, I, again, I always talk about this. I'm so excited when I hear from people who have finally read the whole Bible. I read the whole Bible for the first time. It's, it brings me joy. So keep telling me that if that's you. Love to hear those stories. Every year we gather as a church around Scripture and we say, we're going to read God's Word together this year. And for many people, it just becomes a pattern that every year they work through the entire Bible. If that's you, if, if you need like new ways of of um, kind of livening up that thing. You've been reading it a lot. You've gone through the Bible a number of times. You can try different translations. That's something that I try to do where every year it's a different translation and I go through it. And it's always saying it in a little bit of a fresh way that I'm not used to. And so I like to change up the translation from year to year. But we read Scripture. We listen to Scripture, right? That's a great way. And it very much counts, by the way. Sometimes you might think that like I always think if I tell somebody I read a book and I actually listen to the book, am I, am I like lying to them, you know? Not outside the Bible, it's like, oh, I read that. Oh, I mean, I, I, technically I listened to it, but I'm familiar with the content of that book. Um, the Bible is one of those, you know, books that it's very appropriate to listen to it because that's how most Christians interacted with Scripture for most of church history, that people did not own their own Bibles. They had to hear it. They had to hear it being read to them. And so... Um, Listening is certainly an appropriate way of engaging with Scripture, but reading it 
memorizing it. Maybe there's a passage of Scripture that you need to commit to memory this year. Um, meditating on it. Let, letting it just, letting Scripture dwell richly within you. But probably the most important thing I could say about Scripture is, is to do it, right? Scripture says that, that we don't want to be people like, that, that like look in the mirror and then don't do anything about what we see in the mirror. That when we come to God's Word, we need to be doers of the Word and not just hearers only. That's from the book of James. So there should be things that we look, when we read Scripture, we go, hey, this is what I need to do based on what God is telling me in His Word. I need to align my life with what God is teaching me to do. Now, prayer, of course, is a, is a fundamental Christian practice. Martin Luther said this is the business of Christians, right? Just like a tailor mends clothes or makes clothes, this is our business. We, we are people of prayer. And prayer is one of those spiritual practices that can, you can do it for your entire life and never feel like an expert. It's both easy, like in the sense that children can do it, but it's also difficult in the sense that you're never like a prayer expert, no matter how long you've been doing it. My encouragement to you when it comes to your prayer life is to make room for it every day. Figure out what your kind of bare minimum is. How am I going to engage with God in prayer every day? And then if you're going to do one more thing, it would be this. Pray for all of your worries. You know, anything that you have that pops into your head that you're worried about, make it a prayer in that moment. Finances, the rumors of the layoffs or whatever it might be, world events, I'm worried about how that's going to affect my life. Pray about it right there in that moment. You don't have to just worry about it. That's sort of wasted energy, right? We can actually put that energy into prayers. And, and spending time being a part of a church community, the, these three things, Bible, prayer, church, I think are those three core spiritual disciplines that will help shape our souls, grow us into the kind of people um, that have a healthy inner life. These are all, I, I, and I want to encourage you too to have, figure out what your baseline is for each of these things, your spiritual disciplines. So what, what is something you could do every day when it comes to Bible and prayer? And then I think church is an obvious one because we do this every week. You know, that's, that's an every week thing. But, but trying to think about what is kind of the, the bare minimum. This is something I'm pretty sure I could do just about every day. And then maybe there's one of those disciplines, prayer, Bible, or church, that God is calling you to dial up a little bit this year. Maybe God wants you to seek him more in prayer. Maybe God wants you to actually get through the scripture this year. This is the year that you read through the entire Bible. Or this is the year that you begin to memorize scripture or practice meditating on scripture. I'm going to print out Bible verses or write them out by hand and put them where I'm going to think about them and see them. Whatever it might be, I uh, encourage you to, to practice these spiritual practices because they will transform your soul. They will, they will change your inner life. Um, but it's very important for me to say, one of my favorite quotes when it comes to spiritual growth that I often quote in these sermons, and it's from Charles Spurgeon. He says, I must take care above all that I cultivate communion with Christ, for though that can never be the basis of my peace, it will be the channel of it. What is he saying? I love the way he says it. But let's be real clear about what he's saying. My ability to do prayer, Bible, and church every day or every week 
is not the thing that transforms me. My ability to do it. It is the life of God that I access when I place myself by that channel through which he works. That is what transforms me. Right? I'm putting myself in a position to be transformed, but it is God himself who I seek to meet with by doing each of these practices that is actually transforming me. I like to think about Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is in Jericho. He's visiting the city of Jericho. And as he's leaving, he walks past this man, Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus hears that he's coming. He is a blind man. He cannot see him, but he cries out. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He is making a scene. <laughs> the people around him are saying, Bart, Bart, shh, calm down. You know, it's your making a whole scene here. This is not appropriate. You're going to embarrass our whole town, you know. But Jesus hears him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see. And he says, your faith has made you well. And he heals him. This story I, I like and for metaphorical reasons when we think about spiritual growth, um, this idea that we can place ourselves along the path and then we call out to Jesus. And that is what we are doing when we do these spiritual practices, is we are placing ourselves along the path because that's where Jesus walks. And then we cry out to him and he's the one who provides the transformation. I'm going to pray for us right now. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time of considering a deeper concept than what I realize, which is our souls. You have created us as complex beings that have our physical life, but also this whole deep internal life that's bigger than what I was thinking, Lord. Our hearts, our minds, our thought life, our spirits. And Lord, you want all of us you want access to every part of our lives, not just the little segments of, you know, or pieces of the pie that we offer up to you, but you want all of us, Lord. You want us to live our lives in subjection to you, in obedience of you. And Lord, it is in that living that we are full of joy. We are transformed. We experience the life-giving power that you make available for any who put their faith in you. And so, Lord, I pray for the year ahead for us, Lord, as we consider spiritual practices that we do as a church and, Lord, how we, how we will submit even more and more of our lives to you and give you access to every part of us. I pray that you would help us with that, Lord, that you would just bless your people. Bless us as we seek you. Fill us with your presence and your spirit. The troubled souls, Lord, that that um, we sometimes experience where we'd say it is not well with my soul or my soul is deeply troubled or all these phrases all over the Psalms about what's going on inside. Lord, may, may you come and be the healer and the helper with all of the things that we carry, all the burdens, the, the heaviness that we bring around. Lord, that your yoke is easy, your burden is light, and you provide rest for souls. And so, Lord, may we experience that to the full and may we be faithful to extend the invitation to a world that desperately needs that. May we be a part of spreading that good news to the world. The world is seeking, and they're seeking in sometimes empty places. When I think about the prophet Jeremiah and how they're, they're digging these cisterns that can't hold water, that are empty, 
and broken. And Lord, I, I see that all the time. And we, we have what does bring hope and what does bring help for a world that desperately needs it. And so help us to be faithful with that. Help us to be a part of your mission in this world. Lord, we love you. I thank you so much for this time together. I pray that you'd bless our time as we worship you and lift up our voices one more time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.